telling our story seems appropriate to invite up Kat and Coney Green. They're going to join me up front here. They have been a part of the story of St. Clair right from the very beginning. Uh, they are, by extension now, this missional family on the other side of the world. They're familiar to many of us, uh, but they might actually be new to some of us. So we wanted to take a moment to be able to celebrate them actually being with us, and they, they can explain that, uh, and to be able to give space to pray for them as, as they make another transition. So, Kat, Cody, can you tell us what, and maybe in the very brief form, what life at St. Clair has been for you and how you found your way to Uganda? You switched the question up on me. I was, I was going to say, but before we started meeting downstairs at Harp, there was actually a group of people, which I'm looking at some of them right now, who, who were meeting and praying before that happened, and we were so lucky to be a part of that. Um, I just wanted to say we love St. Clair. So, yeah, we, we have been here since the very beginning, and you know what? What actually led us to Africa in the first place is we went on a, a scouting kind of mission through Grindstone Church years back, and we met some people there who we kind of fell in love with. We fell in love with the mission that they were a part of, and they came to visit us here in Hamilton, and they were, well, she had just recently become a Christian. All the wonderful work she was doing, she was just doing as a lovely person, um, she became a Christian. She had a baby with her boyfriend, and it just kind of burdened us to, to hear their story and to, to, to have people like that alone on the other side of the world. And that is kind of what initially brought us over to Africa. We thought we could maybe love and support them and, and help their ministry just continue to grow. So, I, I mean, give us a sense of what these first few years have been and what you're expecting as you prepare to go back again? Um, yeah, it's hard to sum up um, two and a half years in a few minutes, but um, I'll try. So um, in Uganda, we sort of spend our time doing um, three different things, main things among um, lots of other little things, um, and that is a, a basketball outreach ministry to uh, kids who live on the street. Um, kids find themselves on the street in Jinja for um, many different reasons, and there are a lot of amazing programs during the week, but as we were there and serving and learning and listening, uh, we found out that there's nothing for kids on the weekend, so they would go all weekend long without um, eating or without any sort of support, um, and so Cody um, loves basketball, and he was playing basketball with a few locals, so we decided to um, start up this basketball ministry every Saturday where kids can come and get a meal and just play and be free and be kids, um, and we also share the gospel every week. Um, the second thing that we spend our time doing, or more so Cody spends his time doing, um, is vocation training ministry. So Cody is a cabinet maker, um, so he uses that skill and that gift in a few different ways, um, but just as a means of, of discipleship and building relationship, he does teach his trade um, to a few kids who were former street kids and also to um, a few different youth that we've been connected with, um, but that is just a tool um, for, for him to be able to, to get to know people and to be able to share the gospel. Um, and the third thing is, is that we're involved in a small house church, which is very similar to um, a missional family. We kind of call it like Sinclair Uganda style. 
Um, but we're involved in that, and it's actually multiplied since we've been there. So um, we're pretty involved in the leadership there and just constantly asking God um, how he wants to use um, a small local church, um, yeah, to build his kingdom in Jinja. So those have been our last few years as far as ministry goes. Um, we, we have experienced lots of amazing things, and by God's grace, we've seen fruit. We've also experienced, you know, lots of, lots of dark days and challenges. But um, as Amy was talking this morning about a characteristic that God um, was speaking to us about, and, and faithfulness has come to, to my mind. And yeah, just through ministry and through learning a new culture and learning how to live and raising kids there, um, we've just really experienced um, God's faithfulness in the good times and in the rough times. So. Yeah, and as far as going back, um, in a few of these ministries, it's been pretty amazing. The basketball ministry, um, and also Cody helped um, this boy, Michael, who's Ugandan, start up a, a business making cutting boards. So in a few different areas, we're actually sort of stepping out of a leadership role and more into a supportive role. So we'll just, those ministries will continue, but we're sort of a support. And that's always the hope that there are nationals um, running the ministries who who have a heart for their their country. And um, so yeah, so we'll, those ministries will keep continue and we'll continue to support and pray and see how we can um, help those ministries continue. And we're also praying and discerning. As you can imagine, the need is so great in Uganda. And you could, I mean, as you could imagine, you could spend every day serving and keeping busy. Um, but we're just, we're discerning about, you know, where has God led us via relationships and via open doors. So um, yeah, we're just, some of it's unknown. We'll continue to to putter away and we'll continue to pour into those relationships that God has brought to us. But we're also praying expectantly about, you know, what else God wants us to do and what other doors is he opening for us there. You've alluded to some of it. How best can we pray for you? Because it's not, it's not very long now that before you head back, how can we hold you in prayer? Yeah, you, you guys can pray for a continued opportunity to, to preach the gospel and to, to talk to people about Jesus. We're always looking for more opportunities to do that. That is why we're, we've left our family and friends and that sort of thing to, to go and do that. Um, and yes, yeah, so for, for discernment moving forward, like Kat said, there are so many needs there. Every day, everybody has a need greater than what yours might be. So just to, to, to know when to pick up and, and fight for people and when to... To, to let other people do that work. And, um, and what was my last prayer request? Yeah, and, and also just for, for perseverance. It's, it's not always easy being in a different culture. So just that we can persevere and just continue to do the Lord's work uh, the best that we can. So just love and prayer for, for us, yeah. We would like to pray for you. <laughs> I, I'm going to pray for Kat and Cody. Would you pray with me? If you're comfortable, you could reach out a hand as a way of blessing them. These are deeply people that we deeply love, and we uh, it's a mixed bag every time they come and go <laughs> because we, their presence with us is sweet, uh, yet we don't forget that they are with us uh, and a part of us. Our vision of being a family on mission, who making disciples of Jesus in the Sherman Hub, in Hamilton, and the rest of the world— Kent and Cody are the constant reminder for us of, oh, the St. Clair family is actually part of this, this global family. Um, so we, uh, we're very thankful for you guys. Would you pray with me as we pray for Kat and Cody?
God, we, we give you a lot of thanks that through difficulty and through uh, many points of being challenged, Kat and Cody can celebrate your faithfulness, that that is one of the things that they are quickest to hold on to, is to know that you're with them and that you're for them. And we pray again that you would make yourself known to them. God, would you, would you honor this request, this desire that they have to be able to discern well, to have wisdom, to know what, what is right and good and what is best? God, in that discernment, may they have a renewed clarity of being able to hear your voice and that it would be your spirit is the one who leads them and guides them, that it would be your spirit that is their wonderful counselor as they navigate uh, situations that uh, often don't have a formula or there isn't a roadmap for how these things are supposed to go. Um, God, would you grant them courage to continue to rely on you as the faithful one? Um, God, we pray your blessing on Kat and Cody and their kids as they travel. God, would you go ahead of them? We pray again a protection over their home, that they would return to that physical home that would just uh, feel uh, like a place of dwelling and belonging. Um, would you care for them and watch over them? That we love them. Bless them, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Thank you, guys. We love you. Uh, Will Albert's going to read scripture for us this morning. Good morning. I'm going to be reading Deuteronomy 4, uh, 1 to 10, and then verses 39 and 40. And I'll be reading from the ESV. It says this, And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to, Take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that, may, 
they may teach me their children so. Know therefore today, and lay it on your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and commandments, which I commanded you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. All right. Sorry. Thanks, Will, for reading that. Rules, commands, and laws. Isn't this going to be fun? Good morning, St. Clair. My name is Andrew. I work with the kids here at St. Clair, and so I want to give this little cameo that if you have a heart for discipling kids, if you want to see the kids grow, if you have ideas or time to spend with the kids, come and talk to me, and we can make something happen. But welcome to Sunday. Oh, thanks, Mary. Today is hopefully a day to rest. And with that in mind, I want to give you full permission that if you've had a long week, and if you're tired, and you just need to lean forward or sit back in that nice, comfy pew and close your eyes, go ahead and do so. Sleep if you need to, because if there's any place where you can find rest, I hope it's here when we're all gathered to be together with God. And now that I've said that, if I do see any of you sleeping, I can believe it was because I told you so, not because I was boring. And that'll make me feel nice. Thanks. All right, let's pray before we go on. God, we come and we approach your word today seeking its truth. God, we come because we love you, we want to honor you and glorify you. We pray that we can draw near to you today and that you will draw near to us. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us in your name. Amen. Amen. So we're ending a summer sermon series of the life of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. Through studying for this book, I've come to really love it but it's also kind of a doozy to end off with. It makes sense because Moses dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm sorry for that spoiler, but it's been out for a while, so you should know it already. But in this book of Deuteronomy, we get a lot of laws. We get a bunch of weird stuff that we don't really know what to do with anymore. The name Deuteronomy itself comes from this Greek word, which is built of two parts. The first part is deuteros, which means roughly second, the second. And then you have this English version of a, of a suffix, onomy, which has to do with laws. So if, like, you know the word autonomy means self-law, deuteronomy means second law. It's the second giving of the law to the people of Israel. Why would we want the law given to us a second time? Why do we need Deuteronomy? With the giving of the law, you get a bunch of do's and don'ts. You get curses, you get some blessings, and that's nice. And then you also get these other systems that are in place in the Old Testament, like, oh, the temple, and, you know, these instructions for how to build the temple. And you get, oh, how the priest is supposed to go into the temple once a year and do the sacrifice of blood. You get all these really specific instructions that don't really 
apply to us. They don't seem to, to have any say to us in Hamilton in 2019. In Deuteronomy, you also get some of this language that we're a bit uncomfortable with. You get this jealous God. Ooh, God, God has anger. What do we do with talk like that? Deuteronomy can be a little bit tough. And how can we apply it to our lives in 2019, here, today? This is what I want to do today. I have three tasks at hand that I hope to accomplish. The first is I just want to give a couple reasons why I think we should read the book of Deuteronomy. Why should we even care? Why should we bother to go back into the Old Testament and check it out? The second is I want to equip you with a brief overview of what the whole book of Deuteronomy is saying. I want to give you this this bird's eye view of God's instructions to the people of Israel and how he tells them to live and how he tells them to draw near to him through the laws and the commandments. And then third, I hope we can respond to the book of Deuteronomy together. And we want to ask this question, how do we respond to a book that's telling us the importance of laws and commandments and sacrifices When we have Jesus today, how does Jesus fit into all this? And can we ignore the law in Deuteronomy because we have Jesus? We see in the New Testament, and we'll tease this out a bit later, some authors say, oh, that old law, it was useless. It made nothing perfect. And then we see some other authors say, oh, no, the law was good. It was useful in this way. So what is it? What do we do with the old books like Deuteronomy? Number one, why should we even care? Why should we go back and read this book? The book of Deuteronomy is a critical book in the history of the people of Israel. The book positions itself at the foot of the promised land. This was a land that has been promised to the Israelites from the time of Abraham. And we see much of the Torah leading up to the book of Deuteronomy. This book is about the identity of the nation of Israel. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we get key passages like Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. This passage has been coined the Shema, which in Hebrew means to hear or to obey. And it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. This gets repeated in Deuteronomy 10. And then we also hear these words from people like Jesus and other New Testament authors. So the words of Deuteronomy, they become important for the identity of the Israelite people. And then as Christians, we begin to understand that, ah, my Christian identity is rooted in this book. The New Testament authors, Christ himself, they found identity, they found rooting in the words of Deuteronomy. So we do too. This is our identity. This is our history. These are our stories as well. So when we look back into them, may we realize that we're reading the stories of of our people as Christians. The second reason I think we should read the book of Deuteronomy is because of Oprah. Oprah teaches us that if someone important has read a book, you should read it too because it means it's good. (laughs) Isn't that right? A lot of people have read a book because Oprah has read a book, or some other great person has read a book. Well, guess what? Jesus read the book of Deuteronomy. And I think he's better than Oprah. I don't know. I think so. I really want this to sink in. 
Jesus read the book of Deuteronomy. When you go and you read the words of the Old Testament, and you realize that Christ also read these words, I hope that means something. Not only this, Christ quoted, this is how we know that they read the book, Christ and other New Testament authors, they quoted Deuteronomy. Christ in Matthew 4, 4, quotes the words of Deuteronomy 8, 3, when he says, Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This was not just some reading in in the tabernacle. This was not a random quote. This is when Christ was being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Christ found rooting in his identity as the Son of God through reminding himself what God has done through the ages and reminding himself of the power that God has shown. And if there can be grounding and power for Christ to find in the words of the Old Testament and books like Deuteronomy... I think that that's available for us too. So as we look back, may we remember, these are our stories. And these are words that were important for the identity of of Christ, for the New Testament authors. So may, may they be important for us too. Let's go into the book. Let's see what it says. We open the pages of Deuteronomy and we find ourselves on the plains of Moab with the Israelite people. The plains of Moab were on the east side of the Jordan River, and on the west side of the Jordan River was the city of Jericho and the land of Canaan. The Israelites had been slaves in Egypt for hundreds of years. They had been wandering in the desert for a while, and I would imagine they're pretty eager and excited to get into this promised land, to have some rest after a while, to attain the promises that God has given them. This land was a place that their fathers and their fathers' fathers and their fathers' fathers' fathers and so on had told them about, a land that was promised to them as a part of God's covenant with them. What covenant was that? Genesis 17, 1 to 10 says, God speaking, I am El Shaddai. Abram, walk with me and be trustworthy. I will make a covenant between us and I will give you many, many descendants. Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, But me, Abram, my covenant is with you, and you will be the ancestor of many nations. And because I have made you the ancestor of many nations, your name will no longer be Abram, but Abraham. I will make you very fertile. I will produce many nations from you, and kings will come from you. And here's the covenant. I will set up my covenant with you and your descendants after you in every generation as an enduring covenant. I will be your God and your descendants God after you. I will give you and your descendants the land in which you are immigrants, the whole land of Canaan as an enduring possession, and I will be their God. The covenant was that Abraham and the descendants of Abraham would be taken as God to be his very own people. They would be given a land for them to live and prosper in and be an example in for the other nations. This covenant was established between Abraham and God that we can read about earlier, and it was established between the Israelites and God at Mount Sinai. And We remember the Ten Commandments and the terms of the covenant first given. Like a marriage covenant where one person promises to be a husband or wife to that person and that person only, 
Israel would take Yahweh, God, to be their one and only. The covenant entails exclusivity. There are actually ceremonies in the covenant that have features of marriage celebrations at the time. And this is where we pick up on some of the relational language that happens in Deuteronomy. When you hear that God is a jealous God, this is a relational term. It's a term that conveys God's desire to be in relationship with a faithful people. His jealous attribute reflects a desire to protect and preserve that relationship. And the cool thing is that no other God in the ancient world was ever described in this way. This jealous God was Yahweh alone. Now this covenant that was set up, Israel had already broke it. They didn't get very far. As we've followed along with the life of Moses and we've come to Mount Sinai after the Israelites had been released from Egypt, we see them already going and setting up a golden calf to worship other gods. We see when they finally get to the promised land for the first time and God is saying, oh, Israel, here's the land, go on in. And they say, no, there are really big people there. We're scared. And so God says, okay, fine, don't go in. And so Israel says, no, we're going to go in. And they try and take it, and they lose the battle. And they're sent back into the wilderness where they wander again. They are sent back into the wilderness where they grumble again, where they don't follow God. They're not trustworthy. And we see the Israelites again and again wanting to go back to their lives of pleasure in Egypt. And that's a statement about sin, where it disguises a life of slavery for a life of pleasure. And this is what the Israelites kept wanting again and again. So, here we are again at the foot of the promised land. And before they can go in, they needed to remember the covenant. They needed to remember what the terms and the promises of the covenant were. So we have Deuteronomy, the second law, the second giving of the law to the people of Israel, The covenant renewal, a time for Israel to promise again to be God's people. Before entering the promised land, there is something that must be said and done. After a whole lot of research and trying to understand the book of Deuteronomy, there was a perfect analogy that rose up to get what's going on here. Has anybody ever been to LaserQuest? Oh, so many hands. That's good news. So when you go to Laser Quest, first thing off, you're excited. It's this game where you're going to go into this room and you're going to shoot lasers at other people and try to get the most amount of points. And you'll never beat the guy who goes there every Wednesday night and has some sort of membership. <laughs> but you go anyway, and it's a lot of fun. So you drive up. You're excited. You go and you register. You're excited. You're eager to get in. You pick a new name for yourself. That's a fun part. And you're always wanting to make sure you get the right name. And I remember one time in high school, I, was, I thought I was so cool choosing the name Bloodthirsty. And then I realized, no, that was a really stupid choice. <laughs> but anyway, you've got your new name. And you go into the next room and you get suited up. There are these nice vests with lights on them. And you get a laser gun and make sure that the sticker isn't triggy, tri- tricky, sticky. <laughs> Oh, because that's the worst. And then you're ready to go in and take possession of the land. Oh, but wait, you've forgotten. Before you can go into the promised room, another door opens up, and then you walk into this black-lit room. And there are words written on the wall. And somebody named Marshall 
yells out these rules for you. And then, as a people together, you reply back and you promise that you're not going to run, that you're not going to cover your lasers, that you're not going to crouch. And you make these promises together so that it can go well with everybody in Laser Quest and so Marshall doesn't have to kick anybody out. This is the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> the book of Deuteronomy hones in on this room. On this room where before you go into this promised place, the people gather and they hear the terms. They hear the promises of, okay, what's going to happen in there? And this is what I promise to do when I'm in there. And this happens so that all can go well with them. If you want to summarize, so here's the big bird's eye view of the book of Deuteronomy, which really lets you know the importance of those rules that are proclaimed of the covenant. A summary goes like this. So there's a recap of what has happened in Israel up till now and all God has done. And then Moses reminds the people, do not forget who God is. Do not forget that you're his people. Don't forget that you've promised yourself to be his. Remember all that God has done for you. Don't forget the covenant in the land. Remember the covenant, even when you're rich and when you're prospering, remember it. Don't forget it. Remind your children of it. Tell them stories of what God has done. Tell them the stories of who you are, of how God brought you out of Egypt. Remember the covenant. Talk about it on the road. Put it on the doorposts of your house. Tie it between your forehead. Do anything you can to remember the covenant. Do you see kind of the emphasis? This is like eight to ten chapters, mostly of this. Remember, remember, remember. And then we finally get to the commands and the regulations for how they are to live in the land. And there's a bunch of them. There are blessings and there are curses mixed up in there. Then there's even a song God's, God writes. There's some poetry that Moses writes. And then Moses climbs a hill and he dies. And then Joshua takes over. And then the Bible gets good. <laughs> As you read Deuteronomy, take note of how the covenant is set up. You'll see words, like Will had read, about how Moses calls the heaven and the earth to be witnesses of the covenant. You'll see a declaration, oh, don't add or take away any words of this covenant. You'll see blessings and curses. And all of these elements are part of a formula, a ritual that is happening between Yahweh and the people. This ritual is not unique to the people of Israel. If you look at other ancient Near Eastern history and literature, you'll find a lot of similarities, actually. You'll see a lot of law codes in, in the book of Hammurabi, the law of Hammurabi, which is a Babylonian law code. You'll see ancient treaties, which also do these things, like calling the heaven and the earth to be witnesses to the people. Don't add or take away anything from these treaties. These elements that you see in Deuteronomy aren't unique to the people of Israel, but what is unique is Yahweh, is the fact that this covenant is being set up by a God who wants to be in a relationship with his people, because that just wasn't the way that gods did their business in those days. Gods wanted power. They didn't want friendship with people. So when we see the laws given by God, they're within a system that's set up not so God can gain power, but so that God can be in relationship with his people. They're terms of friendship. God genuinely desires 
what is best for his people. We see in Deuteronomy, if you read through the book, you'll see, remember these laws and keep them. And this is almost always followed by, so that it will go well with you in the land forever. Trust that what God asks, even if it requires the sacrifice of pleasure or wealth or power, he asks because he knows what is best for you. And that's what he desires for you. God desires to be near his people, and he gives his people instructions on how to draw near to him as well. So God has set up this relationship of trust with the people of Israel. He's told the people that to be in healthy relationship with him, this is what I require. You can't look like other people. You can't worship gods like they do. You've got to look different. God sets up the law, a series of do's and do nots. And then there are sacrifices for forgiveness when the law is not followed. And when you read through the Old Testament, you begin to realize that, oh, all these sacrifices that are pretty weird to us, they weren't the primary desire of God. God didn't primarily desire sacrifice. He desired faithfulness and obedience and relationship. But he provided the sacrifices as a means for Israel to still be in relationship with him and to have forgiveness. When you're reading through the laws in Deuteronomy, don't get caught up on the specifics of what God is asking to do. Because there's a lot of interesting laws and terms. There are some really cute laws, like when you're walking along Israel and you're in the promised land and you come upon a nest and there's some baby birds or there's some eggs in the nest. Only take the eggs. Leave the mother bird so that it can fly away and do its own thing and have babies another day. So just take the eggs. That's really nice. We can get behind that. (laughs) Then you see some weird ones. Like in Deuteronomy, it says, oh, don't mix wool and linen. Kind of a classic example of like, ah, that doesn't apply to us today. I'm like 30% polyester, 70% cotton, and something else right now. So (laughs) what do we do with that? And then there are just laws that seem disturbing. There are, there are practices that we go, ooh, that seems really primitive. That seems really harsh. Don't get hung up on the specifics of what is happening there. That law, for instance, about, about the cloth, there's a principle behind that. Many scholars believe that do not mix cloth. That was there because the practice of mixing cloth was reserved for the tabernacle. That happened there, and that building was to be a place that was holy and set apart for God alone. I'm not ever going to try to understand all the principles behind all the laws. But we can realize that, okay, there's something happening behind the scenes where God is setting up a system where he understands how things are to go well for the Israelites in the land. And so he gives them these laws, these principles to follow. If you go to 1 Corinthians 9.9, you can actually see the Apostle Paul take one of these principles, one of these laws, and he actually applies it to his own time. He shifts it a little bit, which we're like, can you do that? Are you sure about that? But he does that. He takes the principle and he applies it to his time. Remember this, though, the principles of the law, even if we're not going to seek to understand what they all are, they do extend into every aspect of human life, from how we borrow money to one another, to environmental ethics, to sexual ethics, to how we boil our goat meat. It's all there. So, <laughs> got a few reactions for the goat meat, because you're like, oh, 
I've been looking online for how to do that, but I couldn't figure it out. So. God has set up the parameters, and Israel agreed to them. You see this ritual exchange after all the law has been given and the blessings and the curses, and you'll see this discussion of Israel climbing these two hills, and they repeat the blessings and the curses back to one another. They agree to the covenant. The covenant has been renewed. And then we read some words that I found a bit humorous the first time I read them. You go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11. This is what we find. So Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11. Moses says, all right, Israel, we've done it. You've agreed to this. Now surely the commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you. It's not too far away. It's not in heaven that you should say, ah, who should go up to heaven for us and get it for us that we may hear and observe it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, oh, who will cross the sea to the other side and get it for us that we may hear it and observe it? No, Israel, the word is very near to you. It is in your hearts and it is in your mouths. It is close to you for you to observe and obey. That's really nice. It's like a nice pep talk of Moses. The problem is, it was too hard. If you actually go to the next chapter, chapter 31, verses 16, it says, The Lord says to Moses, Soon you will lie down with your ancestors. Then the people will begin to prostitute themselves. That's again that relational language happening. They'll begin to do this with other nations in their midst, the gods of the land in which they are going. The people of Israel will forsake me. They will break my covenant that I have made with them. So this makes me think, oh, what's the point? We have 30 chapters of remember, remember, remember the covenant. And then we have more chapters of here's the covenant. And then how does the book kind of finish off? Oh, they're never going to keep the covenant. Why would God make this law in the first place? It's a great question to wrestle with. When you go into the New Testament, you'll see that the New Testament authors are wrestling with this question too. You know, as new Christians and, and Christianity being rooted in Judaism, they wrestle, what do we do with the laws of Judaism? We know as Christians, like, okay, you know, we have, we have Christ now, but there are these other things still happening. What do we do with it? Do we disregard it totally? I really encourage you to wrestle with this, to read the book of Hebrews, Romans, read a book like Deuteronomy again, then read the other books again, do it again. Just keep wrestling with it. When you go through these books, though, and you can write this down, take note of a few themes. Take note of the mountain of God. This is repeated in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy. Moses will recount the scene at the mountain of God again and again, and Hebrews will talk about the mountain of God and bring it into a new context. Note the tabernacle. Note covenant. Note the ideas of slavery and freedom, the law and grace, the flesh and the spirit. In each of these themes that occur in books like Deuteronomy and then reoccur in books like Romans and Hebrews, 
there's a transition happening from a physical system to what's going on in the spiritual, to what Christ did when he came and died on the cross. In the Old Testament, God gives the law to the people so that they could be in relationship with him. The law was supposed to instruct people on how to be holy so they can be in the presence of a holy God. And 1 Thessalonians does say, oh, yeah, 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 the law, that's, that's good. It's useful for helping people to live well. But then Hebrews 7.18 says, oh, the law, it was weak and useless and it made nothing perfect. So we see again that wrestle. Okay, that old law, it's good for the principles of good living, but it's not useful for actually being in relationship with God. But Hebrews goes on. A better hope is introduced. What is this hope for? It's a hope by which we draw near to God. This was the heart of God in Deuteronomy. We see it again and again in the Bible. Draw near to me so that I can draw near to you. Hebrews goes on to say, what was, like the law, that old thing, it was a shadow. It was a copy of what was in heaven, of what is in heaven. Now, if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant between God and Israel, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault in the people, not his law, not his covenant, but the people, they were unable to keep it. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship. There was an earthly tabernacle and what to do in it. The high priest would go into the inner room of the temple once a year and offer blood for the sins of the people. But now Christ has come. He's come as high priest, and he goes through a greater and more perfect tabernacle that's not made with human hands. He entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of heifers and goats, we see that physical aspect, are good for outward cleanliness, for appearing righteous. But how much more then will the blood of Christ actually cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Christ is the mediator, the negotiator of the new covenant, the one that goes between us and God. The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. That's a foreign concept for us today, but this is what we have. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things, like all those bowls and all those things in the temple, it was necessary that they would be purified with sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves, like we who will be in eternity with God, needed to be cleansed with a better sacrifice. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. Christ entered heaven itself to appear in God's presence once and for all. It sounds familiar as we think back to Moses' words in Deuteronomy 30. Oh, Israel, surely you don't need someone to go into the heavens to get this law and keep it for you. Maybe we did. Maybe we do. Does it just sound like Christ? Is that just a coincidence? I don't think so. Paul in Romans 6 says this. Do not say in your heart, 
Who will ascend into heaven? He's quoting Moses. That is to bring Christ down. Christ has already gone into heaven for you. And don't say, ah, who's going to go into deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. Christ already rose from the dead. You don't need to try and do that yourselves. What does the scripture say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This means that there's no longer any asking what we need to do to draw near to God. There's no asking like, what sacrifice do I need to keep? What law do I need to follow? It's not about the laws we keep because we didn't have it in us to be good enough on our own. But Jesus did. Jesus came and did what was necessary for us to be in relationship with God. And in accepting what Jesus did, this is where the relationship with God and that covenant that was promised in the Old Testament, this is where it comes into being. But it also means that there's one option. Jesus says that he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we see in Hebrews, Jesus is the only mediator, the only sacrifice. It's him. It's Christ alone. Now today, we're not standing on the edge of the land of Canaan. We're not standing with a covenant that promises us prosperity and wealth and fertility. The working with the kids makes me think, maybe the fertility promise is still going on. I don't know. There's a lot down there. No, these are not the promises we have today. In fact, we see in the New Testament, oh, there's actually promises of of suffering along with Christ. That doesn't sound great. Why do I want to enter into a relationship with God through Christ when I don't get the good promises like the Israelites had? We see at the end of Moses' life a foreshadowing of this truth. For all that Moses went through, We saw Moses being born into slavery, just escaping death. We see him being raised in Pharaoh's house, but then leaving it for a long time to lead the Israelites who would grumble and be a pain in the neck. And he leads them through the desert. And after all of his obedience to God and after all of this, Moses doesn't even get to go into the promised land. He climbs Mount Nebo and there he dies before even seeing it. The author of Hebrews says, Moses wasn't truly looking to the land of Canaan to achieve the promises of God, but that when Moses left the land of Egypt, he did so to join in the suffering of Christ. Somehow, joining in the suffering of Christ is better than all the pleasures that a world power like Egypt could offer. Somehow, the suffering of Christ is a yoke that's easier, is a burden that's lighter, than following after all the pleasures the world can offer. Moses somehow looked to another promise with the realization that peace and rest that comes with a relationship with God was not found in the land of Canaan. The promise of peace and rest in a physical place has been replaced with the promise of that in a spiritual place. It's a promise of spiritual rest with God. There's a new land that we stand on the edge of. It's a land that Christ has gone before us and he's prepared a place for us to find rest and relationship with God. There's a new covenant 
with new promises. The terms of the covenant of relationship with God are fulfilled in Christ. And that's a good gift. It's a good gift that in Christ alone, we can find that what we couldn't do for ourselves has been done. Christ has done the work. And Christ presents this invitation to come to the Father. And in the Father, we find this shadow of a rest today. And when we partake in the Sabbath each week and we rest, we remind ourselves to rest and find rest in God. And then we also have this hope for an eternal rest tomorrow. Hebrews 4.11 says, Make every effort to enter into this rest. It's worth it. It's worth it. So in responding to Deuteronomy, there's a few things I'm wondering. I'm wondering, okay, on this one aspect, do we need to renew our covenant with God? Do we need to remember the promises that we have made to God, that he will be our one and only? And remind ourselves as well of the promise that he has given to us, that in me you will find rest, that there's a place to lay a burdened soul, that there's a place to rest your head on. Do we need to remember our covenant and renew it with God today? And then I'm wondering, have we never made a covenant with God? Is this something totally new? Have we never experienced the rest that can come with God? Are we tired of trying, trying, and trying when Christ has already done the work for us? If this is something that fits you, if it's something new to make a covenant with God, and to find friendship in the Father who desires to draw near to you, then there's people to pray with you at the back today. And as the body of St. Clair Community Church, together as a whole, each week we take time to do something. We take time to participate in the practice of remembering. The first you know, eight to ten chapters of Deuteronomy say, remember, remember. Remember who you are and what God has done. And we do this each week. We gather at the table of Christ in remembrance of what he has done for us. As we conclude, we say a benediction, a word of blessing, a good word over all you all at St. Clair. And so along with the authors of scripture, I bless you, St. Clair. May you remember that there's no other people like you with a God so near to you, with a God that invites you to draw near to him and has provided a way to do so. Be blessed as you remember this this week.